in the late 90s, a priest from Chicago named Casimir Zegland invented a product combined with uh, silk fabric and steel that he believed would absolutely change the world. However, while the product was needed, it was yet to be proven effective. But his plan was simple. He had to demonstrate not just how it works, but more importantly, he had to demonstrate that it worked. The problem was, is that it wasn't the 1990s, it was the 1890s. And what he was, had just invented and needed to test, made out of silk and a steel plate, was a bulletproof vest. Zeglin devised a special way to weave in a 1.6 millimeter bulletproof steel plate between four layers of silk. Zeglin claimed that his 1.8 inch thick half pound vest could stop a 44 caliber. It was cumbersome, hot, expensive, and most importantly, it was unproven. The fact was, is that it was unbelievable that he could invent something that would actually stop a bullet. And so Zeglin did what any good inventor would do. He put his money where his mouth was. The problem was, there was only one real effective way to prove his concept. Despite protests... On July 10th, 1897, Zeglin donned his vest and allowed himself to be shot with a 32 caliber pistol at 10 paces. When the dust settled and the smoke cleared, Zeglin was standing with a smile on his face. Later, he would demonstrate that not only a 32 caliber, but a 44 caliber would be stopped just by wearing his vest. Though it was more painful, Zeglin proved his theory and nearly changed the world overnight. It was interesting as I was reading about this, he took the 32 caliber uh, shot and said he laughed because it felt like somebody just poked him with a stick. He was then shot with a 44 caliber and they said, how did that feel? And he said, I could probably take 6 to 10 of those before going unconscious. <laughs> so there still was some pain involved. But I mentioned that it almost changed the world overnight. It nearly did. For those of you who are historians and you're familiar with U.S. history and you like to study that and you know specifically about the presidents, you know that it nearly caught on, but not entirely. Because there was a gentleman by the name of President McKinley who shortly after that demonstration was contacted about wearing the bulletproof vest. And he says, that sounds really good. I'm going on a trip. I've got to uh, go do some visits. When I come back, we'll get me fitted for one. Two weeks later, President McKinley was assassinated. Had he been wearing that vest, he would have still been alive. Not everybody was willing to try it out. Well, there are no accounts 
of shots being fired in Acts, but there were plenty of stones thrown, axe raised, and nails driven. Between the Jewish leaders, the Roman nationalists, and a Caesar named Nero, Christianity and Christians seem to be in constant peril. And all throughout Acts, the underlying question is, how much longer could individuals and this group survive such persecution? The answer is sitting right beside you. Nearly 2,000 years and counting. And so the question then must be asked, how and why? How could a small group of zealots continue to speak of, be ridiculed for, and die with a story about a crucified carpenter slash criminal who came back to life and floated into the sky. Folks, it's a crazy story. Take it out of the Bible. Walk away from this church building. Read it on any other time but a Sunday morning, and you will think this is the most outlandish, weird, wild, crazy story I've ever heard. Can you imagine turning on the news? And listen to someone talk about this criminal who was executed, but he was innocent. Now we hear that story all the time. But the story didn't end there for the first century group of believers, this wild sect of people who said, not only was this criminal not a criminal, but he was the Son of God. And you thought you killed him, but let me tell you something. He is still alive. He was killed. He came back to life. And by the way, he floated up into heaven and he's not here anymore. How believable is that story? How quickly are you going to change the channel? Or, most likely, set down the tabloid while you're waiting in line and walk forward a little bit more. Because that's the only place other than the Bible that you're going to read about a story of a a criminal killed, executed, came back to life, and floated to heaven. The National Enquirer will cover that. No one else with any credibility would touch that story. And yet here we have in the Bible a group of people who are doing just that. They're telling the story of a crucified carpenter who came back to life. But I love not only how Acts ends, as we're going to get to in just a minute, but I love how it starts. Let's go back all the way to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 9. It says this, After Jesus said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky He was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen Him go into heaven. Now one thing I love about the Bible is it's not afraid to ask really silly questions. And this is a perfect example of a silly question. And here we have these two men dressed in white that just instantly show up. They appear out of thin air. Everybody's looking up into the sky. Jesus has just spoken. He's, he's floated away. He's gone up into the clouds. And they're all looking up. And these two guys kind of walk up and say, Hey, why are you looking up in the sky? Guys, that's pretty phenomenal. Why wouldn't you be looking up in the sky? That's exactly where my eyes are going to be focused on and where my feet are going to be planted. I'm going to stay there till my neck hurts. And then I'm going to devise some type of chair that I can look up at that one spot and just say, He's, he, he was there, I saw it. And He said He's coming back. I imagine that many, many days after that, they long to go back to that same spot and say, this is where I saw, I saw him go up. And before he went up, he said he's going to come back down. I can't, I'm going to sit right here. But God didn't ask that. He didn't want that. In fact, he sent two messengers that gave him the little elbow poke and said, hey, what are you guys looking at? And I think if I was one of those guys, I would look at him and say, what are you looking at? Did you just miss what we just saw? Of all the advancements that we have 2,000 years later, it's phenomenal that we can do things that we can do. We can surf the web and fly across the sky in this big tin can with wings at jet speeds. But none of us can do what Jesus did. He floated up into heaven. And he's everybody there was looking as he's floating up and the angels come up and say, what are you looking at? And then they ask the question, why are you still standing here? The reason why they asked was not because they didn't see how amazing the ascension was but because they believed that it should call people to look and move, not stand and gaze. That they were then called out, not just to look up at where Jesus had gone, but to look out to who He had come to save in the first place. And so, as we see all throughout Acts, they didn't stand still for long. Luke records the exploits of, the Jew, of Jesus' followers and the explosion of His following. And so I want to ask the question, how could this be? How did Acts get written? How did the Acts get accomplished? And there's one reason. Because they saw and or they believed that Jesus had ascended. That is the only 
logical explanation why we have the book of Acts. Gamaliel was right when he spoke to, to the enemies of the cross. Those who thought Jesus and the followers of Him should be put down. He said, forget about them. Because only two things can happen. If they are not with God, trust me, they will die out. He even gave examples. Remember Judas? He tried to get a group of followers. God wasn't with him. And when Judas died, everything was gone. He said, so it's simple. If God's not involved in this group of crazy people, it's going to fail. You don't even have to worry about it. But, and we know the second half of his statement. He says, but if God is with these people, you can't stop them. You will only be fighting against God. And this is why we have these crazy stories of Stephen, of Philip, of Paul, of Peter, of James, of these men and women risking their lives. Folks, if He didn't raise from the dead, if Jesus didn't ascend, He's not God. And nobody is going to follow Him for long. Now I get following Him for a little bit. Especially when times are good. If following Jesus meant everything was going to be well for me, that's great, I'm all in. But we don't read that in Acts. We read of Stephen getting stoned. If he didn't believe the story of Jesus, he would say, put down your rocks, it's not real. If Peter didn't see the crucified Jesus resurrected, do you think he would have died the way that he died? In fact, in class today, we're going to look over the apostles and the way that they lived their life after the ascension and more specifically, how they died. Why would the Gospel continue on if they didn't really believe that Jesus was who He said He was? They saw and they believed. Whips were cracked, nails were driven, and a grave was filled. And when the dust settled, Jesus was still standing. The Gospel was propelled because love was shown, because forgiveness was offered, because power was put on display. In short, the Gospel was advanced because Jesus was bulletproof. On July 10th in 1897, shortly after Zeglin took that first shot wearing a bulletproof vest and stood there alive, 
an onlooker by the name of Dr. F.H. Westerschult announced that he was willing to have the next test tried on him. Do you know what he's saying? He said, I want to be shot next. A protest was made on the grounds that he was not properly dressed. That is, his undershirt was too thin. That people said, the vest is not going to work because your undershirt is really what's going to stop the bullet. But he insisted. And ultimately he had it his way and instructed that the test continue with him as a target. Well, you probably can guess the story even if you haven't read it. He survived with not even a single mark on his chest. He did it. He wore the vest. He took the bullet because he saw someone else take the bullet and live. Why did he do it? He would later talk about that that single invention could change the world and save millions of lives. And he said, if I could put on that vest and be one of the ones that proves that this works, people can live. The men who put on that bulletproof vest before it was called bulletproof were willing to risk their lives because they knew if it worked, it would change everything. Jesus demonstrated to His followers that nothing could kill them for long. Even the grave couldn't hold the Son of God. And this is the story of Acts. The ending is really quite odd. After appealing to Caesar, traveling to Rome, and staying in house arrest as Nero grew more and more sadistic, it leaves us with Paul still waiting. And we'll spend more time talking about this in class, but I want you to think about how Acts ends. It's really a head-scratcher. If you ask me about the writings of Luke, we know that he wrote the Gospel of Luke. We're introduced in Acts as him writing a previous one. So we know that the good doctor not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, he then followed it up with Acts. So we have the story of the life of Jesus. And we have the story of His followers after Him. And they really are amazing. If you set them side by side, you see how this, uh, the trend goes of they have this severe persecution towards the end. But then we have, ah, something good's going to happen. 
And so where Luke leaves off, he picks up in Acts. But here's the deal. What happened next? What happened next? Because Acts doesn't finish the story. Where's Paul Harvey now? I want to know what happens next. We have Paul in prison. And everybody knows that Nero is going crazy. Rome is burning. And Nero is looking for blood. It should be a trilogy. There should be another book written. And we don't know why. We don't know if, if Luke set out to write another one and didn't get to it. We don't know if it got lost. But we are left with this question. But I think it's the wrong question. Because I don't think the question of Acts is, will Paul die? I think the real question of Acts is, will you live?